Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with another episode of Ranching Reboot. Riding with me today is my co-pilot, CK. And today, we've got my buddy Chad Tuttle from C2C Ranch in Plainville, Kansas with us. Chad, how are you today? Doing good, Brian. How are you guys? I'm doing great. How about you, CK? I'm doing awesome. I'm so excited for spring. Getting some nice moisture. I agree. Right? Yep. We had some great winter moisture, and it, things are starting to green up. So, are things looking pretty good in your part of the world too, Chad? We had we had great moisture in March. Um, had well one six inch rain, and then a couple of inches after that, I guess. So we're set on moisture as we've ever been. I think it's, it's a slow spring so far. I think it's had enough cool weather that we haven't seen a lot of green coming in. There's some green, but as quick of a spring as some of us would have liked. That's the way it goes. Hopefully that'll mean that the moisture lasts longer. Right. So tell us about, uh, tell us where you're at and tell us about your operation. Sure. Um, we're located north of Hayes, about 20 miles, Hayes, Kansas, which is out of the western part of Kansas. Um, we, we have 2,500 acres here. It's all located in one block up on the Saline River Valley. Rivers, river that runs up through here. It's basically a, a year-round river unless we get into a bad drought. Feeds Wilson Lake and goes on to the east side of that. Pretty good river. We're very blessed in that we have some of the prettiest country up and down the river valley, really all of western Kansas. We have about as beautiful a country as anybody. The ranch is a mile and a half wide from west to east, but if the river flows through it, it actually makes a right-hand corner and flows far to the south, and then makes kind of a peninsula and, and makes another left-hand corner and then flows up along some limestone cliffs. Um, so we've got four miles of river, most of which is bordered by a beautiful limestone cliff. So it's a very unique scenic place. Something people, as they get here, they tell us that it looks more like a building very true. Well, uh, originally we were a basic, regular, typical farm. Uh, raised wheat, corn, milo, and cattle. Uh, tried to do it all no-till. Tried to... Um... So, gang, instead of restarting the whole interview, we had some audio problems that we got worked out. So we're back with Chad, and hopefully the audio problems are behind us. <laughs> <laughs> so now I think we maybe have the audio problems behind us, and we're going to try to pick back up with Chad. Chad, sounds like you got sure. a beautiful place down there on the Saline River with miles of riverfront and beautiful limestone bluffs. How did you come across that place? How did you get a hold of it? And how, So how did you come to manage it? 
Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I originally, I graduated from Western Kansas, uh, from Quinter, a school out in Western Kansas, um, and went to college at Fort Hayes and obtained a degree in animal science. Um, after that, I wanted to go back to the farm, but there really wasn't any room. The farms mm -hmm. just weren't big enough. Dad's farm wasn't. Um, and so instead, I went into ag finance uh, and started originally with farm credit and then eventually into the commercial banking sector, um, working mostly with farmers, um, seeing lots of different operations, uh, lived in a couple of three different states as we moved around, ended up back in Plainville or in Plainville, managing a, a branch bank um, and doing the ag lending for them. And that was kind of when I first start, got the chance to start renting a little farm ground. And I had rented some other ground around um, before I got this place, but um, just picked up a little bit here and there and was continuing to, to do the banking thing as well. Um, and then got the chance to rent this. That was about 2007, I guess. Um, uh, the owner was a absent, well, he wasn't really absentee. He lived out here part of the year, um, but he was um, kind of a challenging fellow. He'd been through six tenants in seven years. Um, and so <laughs> I was told when I rented it that I would not enjoy it very much because he was difficult to get along with, but he and I were fine. Um, it worked out pretty good. I was close to here and I could be here quickly if he needed something or if the cows were out or something like that. Um, and so I, I picked it up and I was still farm or still banking as well and actually had a full-time hired man at the time. Um, and then in 2009, we, we planted most everything to corn We'd taken out a bunch of CRP, and at the time I was, a, like I said, a pretty conventional farmer. We did no-till, but it was all corn and, and uh, wheat and milo and raising some cattle. So uh, we were doing everything real conventionally, planted everything to corn. It was a wonderful corn year, um, had some record yields on dry land. Some of these dry land river bottoms made 250 bushel to the acre, which was just incredible. And I thought, well, this is easy. Um, I'm going to quit this banking job and go farm full-time. My hired man was moving on, and I thought, this is a great opportunity. And it didn't rain for three years, I don't think. Um, that's what I tell people anyway. We went into a little drought um, right away in 11, and then the big drought hit us in 2012, and I was up here without an income, without um, really <laughs> anything growing very well. It was a challenging time. Um, and so we started looking into some different options. That's kind of what led us down into the the rabbit hole that became regenerative agriculture for us started looking into how we could do this a little differently and and make some changes and right as we were doing all that stuff uh, my landlord came to me and this was in early 2015 i guess and, and said that i'd talked to him about making a switch to no crops and no chemicals and he was all on board um, but then he came to me in january and said that he had been diagnosed with cancer and um at the time, he'd never been married, never had any kids, and so he decided to leave the ranch to me, which was an amazing, humbling experience, to be honest with you. Um, he decided to to change my family tree as part of that, and so uh, we kind of, I kind of parked most of the equipment for 15, um, and we took care of him. He wanted a few things done around the ranch, cleaned up and things, and so we did all that. Um, <laughs> It gets it got complicated by the end. Um, my my wife had quit her job. She was a nurse and she was taking care of him full time. Um, a girlfriend who had left back when he announced I was going to get the ranch um, came back in November, and they got married in a secret ceremony out at the ranch in December. 
And then she took him to a new attorney in January and had him change all of his papers. And he was, he died a week later. Um, so we were left with this huge mess, this crazy estate battle that we had to get into. We filed suit and um, went through a whole bunch of hoops. And ultimately I approached the new wife, the new widow and, and kind of made her an offer just to let her disappear because she was mostly after money anyway. And, um, and she did, she took me up on it, uh, which saved us a ton of legal fees and a whole bunch of time. And uh, so that's how we got to be here. It was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I tell people it was like winning the lottery, but the lottery ticket cost a half a million bucks um, for sure. Uh, and by the time we were done with it, uh, you know, inheriting a ranch sounds like a great plan, but if, if, if by the time you roll all the existing debt together, plus the settlement debt together, if your payments about triple, it's not always the best blessing in the world. And so it's been an uphill battle for sure um, from that. And, and part of what we liked about the whole regenerative ag approach was the lower cost, the lower inputs, because it just didn't make sense to go out and try to plant a corn crop or spend a bunch of money on inputs. So that's how we ended up here anyway. Yeah. Right. So how many acres again have, have you taken out of basically commodity crop production and put back into grass? Sure. Um, we haven't really put anything back into grass. We, uh, the, the 2,500 acres on the ranch consists of about 650 acres of, of really good, mostly bottom ground farm ground. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me turn that off real quick. May have a little bit of the, what was that, a driveway alarm? That was a driveway alarm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. I meant to turn that off an hour ago. So um, it anyway, there's, <laughs> yeah, right. There's about 650 acres of really good, mostly bottom ground farm ground on it. Um, and we have, we've started letting some of that go back into grass, but we're still farming most of it. Um, well, relatively farming most of it. What we do now is on most of those acres, we plant a cash crop or a cover crop and we graze it. Um, so we've done away with the cash crops completely on everything. We don't have a combine anymore. We don't do any of that stuff. We plant a two-year rotation of three different cash cover crops that we can graze. Um, the goal is, is to take everything off with the cows. Okay, cool. So what... Uh... Can we get into maybe some of the some of the economics of that and what your some of the economics of that? I mean, we don't have sure. to get in absolutely. real deep, and we don't have to do it right now. We can always circle back later. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, so no, happy to about nineteen hundred acres of grass. Then yes, yes, right about that. Um, there's some waste ground with the river and all that other fun stuff. But sure. So. What it, so what are you doing with the rest of the ranch? Like, are, are you doing high frequency daily moves? Yeah, absolutely. What we did, because this is a relatively unique place, and, and like where I live, if the river's up, um, it takes 10 miles of driving to get to the other two-thirds of the ranch, and you have to go different directions to get to each third. So um, it's it can be kind of kind of a challenging setup and we've got lots of different soil types and so what we did after we looked through a lot of the holistic management practices and went through all the classes we broke the ranch up into five different management zones that range anywhere from very thin upland topsoil that might have three inches of soil and then it's limestone rock and that grows different grass than our good sub-irrigated native bottomlands and so we manage them different in the same way with our our farm ground with those are a different management zone too um, which lets us, like when we're grazing a cover crop, for instance, we might 
be on that real quick and be on 30 day rotations or rest periods and get right back to it and try to pound it in. But when we hit the native grass, we might end up with an 18 month rest period. It just depends on how the grazing plan flexes around. Every year has been different. Um, and I think with different management zones like that, every year is going to be different. So, um, and every year is different with rainfall too. And that makes a huge absolutely. difference and it's timing of rainfall, or you could have the, I, the same exact rain that you had last exactly. year on the same days, but it could be four degrees cooler on sure. average. And, your grass production is way different. <laughs> an early or a late spring affects everything, or an early freeze will totally change how you manage things. Um, we had one of the challenging things that we did after we went through the whole inheritance, we didn't have a lot of cows. And so we did the custom cows for a little while. Um, and custom cows, when it's not, when it's year round stuff, is a little different animal than like um, taking in cows on you know, for grazing steers and things like that. The old cows, cows, Florida versus year round custom. Right. Yeah. When we had a hard time finding guys that had cows that were really suited to the low input model that we were trying to embrace. Um, And so we have ultimately ended up buying our own cows, um, which was a pretty big investment. And then the year we did that was, uh, was the spring of 2018. And we got a huge flood come through here, right. At the end of May in 2018, um, lost a few calves, got most of them to high ground in time, but had, well, had areas that are never underwater under six feet of water. Um, and that was the second of actually five floods we had over about two and a half years that just really changed. For two years, I couldn't get into my big fields, my beautiful big bottom ground fields. You normally would raise such great crops. They were wet. You couldn't go down there and farm them. Um, I actually have video of building <laughs> building fence through Johnson grass that had grown up wild in there to graze it. Um, we were driving through it and there'd be six inches or a foot of water. Um, so those fields kind of sat idle for a couple of years and that really changed the whole approach. Um, and like you say, the rainfall, every year is going to be so different. Uh, that's why I, I like the holistic approach because you get to plan and replan constantly. Um, right. You can adjust. How many, did you say how many years in total you're doing this? Um, yeah, I've been farming full time, I guess, since 2010. I was, right. I was farming, um, part of the time I, I started my farm in 2006. So, or uh, probably about five. So, yeah. What has been, been the biggest, in... yeah. What has been the biggest sure. change, change you've seen? Oh, it's all been a change. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you to could, where I yeah, if you could prioritize like the most meaningful one, that's what I want to know. Oh, without a doubt, the discovery of holistic management, regenerative grazing, polybraid, whatever. I mean, whatever tool you want to pick out of that toolbox, that has changed how we approach farming for sure. Um, back when I started this deal, I thought the ideal farm would be, you know, at one time and I built that up to about 4,500 acres and I had... Uh, 2,000 acres of grass and 2,500 acres of farm ground. And I thought that would be a lot of fun to have the equipment and the combines and everything else. Oh, and I discovered that was a great way to lose any money that you had. Um, if you aren't really well capitalized, I'm not starting, I'm not joining an existing farm. I, I have to go out and buy my own stuff. Uh, coming from the banking background, by about 2012, I was looking myself in the mirror going, we have to figure out why this won't work. Because right. farming's not working, um, and I, I saw that writing on the wall. I worked with a lot of ag producers back in my days at the bank, 
And I got very good at analyzing balance sheets and tax returns. And I have to say that most people don't make money in agriculture most years. Um, and that was, that's a sobering reality for most of us. And um, the discovery of something like regenerative agriculture and what it could possibly do for agriculture in general, that's, that's been exciting. That's easily the biggest thing. Um, otherwise, I'd probably go do something different. To be right. So. so what have been some of your biggest influences and and education resources for regenerative ag? Sure. Um, I, I started going down that particular rabbit hole very slowly, way back in, in the 2000s. Um, my dad got on the mailing list, and then I did too for a guy named Kit Farrow out in eastern Colorado, and you both heard of him. Um, and he started challenging my paradigms about how we raise cattle, for sure. Right. And I had, at the time, I didn't have a lot of cows, um, and I didn't make a lot of changes like he was talking to, but uh, by the time we bought a bull or two and I'd had Kit come out and give some speeches to some of my farmers, um, he was at least convincing me that we could do some things differently. Um, and so once I bought a bull from him, then you get involved in this email discussion group that he has. And that had Gabe Brown on it, had Gabe Brown and and even some. It's some kind of like a cult. It, well, and, and say what you will about Kit. That's true. Absolutely. I don't disagree one bit. Um, but it, boy, there's an awful lot of information on that, that discussion group um, between Gabe being on there and then ranching for profit guys were on there and always sharing things. It's, it's pretty, it, it was a, it was an eye opening experience anyway. For yeah. Me. So, um, and then after that, you know, I heard Gabe speak a few different times. Um, it was kind of slowly soaking in, but not enough to make me make wholesale changes on my operation. Um, saw the TED Talk by Savory and, and thought, yeah, this is probably right. And then got up against the wall and realized that if I didn't make some changes, I was going to go broke. Um, I was, by the time the, the opportunity to inherit the ranch came around, I was a broke, but not ready to, not yet ready, willing to admit it farmer, right? I mean, I, I didn't want to admit it to myself, but there was no way we were going to get over some of the debt problems that we had. And so I convinced myself we were going to have to make these wholesale changes. And that's when I threw myself into studying it and, and trying to learn about it and seeing if it was going to really work. Awesome. So I, I kind of want to maybe delve into a little bit of uh, the place you're on, the the guy you inherited sure. from, the pros of this previous tenant, and what did you do differently to make that relationship work? Yeah. Um, lots of, lots of farmers who have just been farmers or ranchers. And this is no kind of a, a dig on anyone tend not to necessarily be excellent at customer service because that's not their wheelhouse. Um, they haven't had to do a lot of customer service in their life. And I did. I came from the banking industry where that was what it was. You sold relationships, um, and we were good at it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he could call me, and I would be there quickly, and I helped him out. If he wanted something sprayed or something done, I would help him out on that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it was just about being able to relate to him and make him feel like what he thought mattered. Uh, he was the landowner, and and I think a lot of a lot of guys came down here and didn't like his particular approach, and that's because he wanted to know some stuff. And uh, once you got over that, it was not that big of a deal. Um, and you had to be used to 
<laughs> you, know, you had to be willing to blow off. If he was upset at you, just let him be upset. You know, that mm -hmm. happens sometimes. And a lot of people don't like doing that. And so, but, uh, yeah, I think and that was probably the biggest difference. Yeah. 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 So your current enterprises are, are mostly grazing, custom grazing, and you have some of your own cows, correct? Well, we have all of our own cows now. Yeah, we don't do the custom grazing um, anymore. Uh, we decided to buy our own cows. So let's talk about your cows. What kind of cows you got and why? Sure. Um, mostly, well, they're they're mostly black, but we're not married to black cows by any means. Um, we bought a fair number of cattle from, from down south um, that are partially low line, so they're going to be a little bit okay. smaller. Um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of thousand to eleven hundred pound cows out in the herd. Um, we're shooting for lower maintenance, lower maintenance costs. Um, we're not, like I said, I'm not married to any particular breed. I, uh, for me, the breed arguments kind of sound like the arguments between Dodge and Chevy and Ford pickups. After a while, um, there's good ones, there's bad ones. I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with all that, but at the same time, at the end of the day, they're kind of the tool for harvesting what yeah. we were allowed to grow from the solar energy that we're trying to harvest. So exactly, um, the goal ultimately is to not just have the cows. We'd love to diversify into other protein sources. Um, eventually, that will be what we do. Right. Sure. I have a uh, quite a few friends who ask, "CK, where do I go get grass-fed cows? Like, what are the right. genetics?" Right. And I get that right. question all the time. I'm like, man, maybe I should be become a grass-fed genetics breeder because only I only can only refer Kit Farrow, uh, Mushrush Ranches, and some other people too. Right. So it right. seems like there's a big need for it. The list, yeah, is fairly short. And, you know, think about what it was like 10 years ago when we were trying to kick this around. There was no place to go. Um, that's why Kit Farrow sold a lot of bulls um, and why I think he still sells a lot of bulls because you can, you can kind of guarantee that those genetics are at least going to be designed to be low-maintenance good grass genetics. I see more and more guys that are doing the right things anymore. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big bull sale fan. I don't follow the bull marketer or the breeder market or anything like that, but it seems like there's, if there's a niche share, there's surely going to be people stepping up to fill it. Um, I'd sure like to think so. Uh, and I, I'd sure think that there's a huge opportunity there for people to do that. So other diversification options besides livestock, some of the sure. things that we've talked about, <laughs> in previous episodes, uh, like with Dallas Mount, is you can concessionize things on the ranch. So you want to go down that rabbit trail of, of how you've yeah, concessionized sure. your ranch? <laughs> yeah, well, we, um, and, and again, you know, we're very lucky in that we've got a, a beautiful, amazing property here. And, and it didn't feel right just sitting on it. After the floods came through, we washed out of well, I'll back up for a minute. Um, the previous owner had built right up against the base of the floods, a swimming pool area that had a had a sunshade and a pool, little pool house and and just a neat area for his friends to come down and party. He was actually a, I guess you'd call him an unreformed hippie, and he okay. was kind of trying to recreate Woodstock, right? So the Woodstock idea seemed like a great plan to him. And really, he built a beautiful area down there. They trenched in water and trenched in power and had a little RV hookup for his friends to come down and camp and party. And, and it was a lot of fun. Um, looked like a fun, it was a fun area. And then after, after we came out here, um, that's actually, we got married. My wife and I got married up on the cliffs and then had our reception down by the pool. And um, it was a really neat area for the family. Unfortunately, the floods that came through in 2018 took the entire pool, the sunshade, it took it all. Um, it was all gone. 
So we were left with what essentially is now a cow pasture that's got some pretty cool views. Um, kind of kicked it around a few different directions, what we wanted to do with it, and nothing seemed right. A little over a year ago, I found a, a well, it was actually a Facebook ad um, for an outfit called Hip Camp, an app called Hip Camp. And what they're designed to do is bring landowners and campers, people who want to go out and camp in, a, in nature, together. Um, kind of like Airbnb, only just getting started. So we signed up and I thought, well, I could pick out four or five campgrounds. And I did that and we took some pictures and didn't think much of it. That was in February and COVID hit, you know, right after that. And those of us that we were all affected by COVID. We've all got the story to tell, whether it was we had 60 heifers that were going to be direct marketed to people. And right about the time COVID made all the butcher dates disappear, we had to make decisions on what to do, right? But right as all that was going on and everything was such a mess, we started getting campers, um, a lot of campers. Amazingly, that was a very popular thing uh, because COVID, all the national parks were booked up. Everybody was traveling differently. Nobody was flying over Ameri or over the heartland like they used to. Everybody was, if they were going to travel, they were going to camp, um, tried to stay away from the hotels, all that other fun stuff. So it was a perfect time to start a campground. Um, we, we started with just two, well, actually just one powered site and four primitive sites. And then we built another powered site after that um, and had literally thousands of people stop through here last summer. I was amazed. Um, I I couldn't believe that that many people were willing to come up here. And we're only 20 miles off the interstate, and so it was a relatively convenient drive. But um, it was really something else. You know, they'd come down here, and it looks it looks really different than anything they'd been seeing. Um, and then we'd start telling the stories about, you know, well, how did you get here? And so tell them the same story I just told you. And what are we doing? And I, so I talk about regenerative agriculture and. Um, by the end of, of most of the campers' visits, they were terribly excited about what we were doing. Um, it was a real breath of fresh air after two years of managing through flood crisis, and then we went right into a little mini drought that last year and everything. It was really nice to talk to people totally outside of agriculture who thought, this makes perfect sense. You know, we described the whole story of regenerative agriculture. And, uh, so by the end of it, we decided that we were really onto something, and, and we decided it made sense to try to expand the campground this year. And so that's our plan. We're actually going to become a commercial campground um, with a wedding venue and event venue, um, plenty of sites and everything else. It's for us, the hospitality industry is going to be as much oh, of a future yeah. as, as the livestock industry. And, and again, part of that's because we're blessed with this great view at the same time. I personally think every single regenerative farmer out there, ag guy, we should all have two or three primitive sites um you should be taking in campers and talking to people you get to share your story it's amazing you do. Yeah. people love it and you know people are like well can i buy some hamburger from you <laughs> well, oh yeah, sure maybe we can do that and then by the end of last season we were offering um, baskets that they can buy food baskets that yeah. include ranch raised hamburger um home-cooked potatoes you know we what it works out to at the end of this um, we're selling our cold cow hamburger for ten dollars a pound through our baskets. And if you can take a cow that's worth a thousand bucks and turn it into something worth 5,000 bucks, you've all of a sudden done what we're talking about at Ranching for Profit, right? Um, that's, they all work together. Um, it was a really cool thing. That was, I've been in agriculture one form of it or another since I was a kid. I've not, yes. other than a few commercial loans, and I did some loans in the hospitality industry and liked it then, 
but I've never stepped into an industry like that um, and tried to figure it out. And it was a wonderful experience because different from agriculture, the inputs aren't near as high and the profit margins are really good and people are excited. If you're, if you're doing a campground, you're catching people on their vacations. And so they're, they're used to spending money. They're having a good time. Usually they're in a pretty positive mood. And they're not carrying around a lot of work stress. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It was, it was, and especially last year, you know, um, to come to a place like this and be away from everything in the middle of COVID was a huge thing for people. People are really looking for that. And I don't think that'll go away no matter what the future of COVID is, because we've kind of redefined some paradigms for people yep. out there. People know they can work remotely. We ran into a lot of people that this year they're booking for a week because they want to stay down here, work for a week, and then they'll move on to the next place. That's what they're looking for is those kinds of experiences. You know, I, when you got into hip camp last year, it, it was just a little bit after COVID. I saw you started to get into it and you had a first couple bookings and I was like, Hey, I can do that too. So I got a primitive site set up and I'll admit mine's nowhere near as popular as yours is because I'm way farther off the beaten track, but I'm having a similar experience with all my campers. They'll all love it. And the ones that do, that do want me to come out and chat, I, I kind of have an unattended check-in cause it's, you know, out there in the pasture and, um, <laughs> sure. You know, so I, I always say, you know, I'd be happy to help, be happy to stop by and, and visit. And most of the time they don't want to chat, but when they do, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of have to be like, uh, I, I got to go to a bull sale, <laughs> right. you know, just to get away from, um, but it, it is a fantastic experience. Um, didn't you get, uh, some sort of award for your hip camp operation? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got a couple of awards. Yeah. Um. For our first year, and we were pretty happy about this, we were voted the number one hip camp in Kansas, and then the number two hip camp, RV hip camp, in the country, which we only had two sites at the time. Um, the span we could get to 12 or maybe even a few more, but um, to get to get the number two RV hip camp in the country with two sites, we were real excited about. Um, like I say, for us, especially this property, uh, the hospitality business makes perfect sense. We, between weddings and things like that in the future, we will hopefully, well, I'm sure the hospitality business will be bigger than the cattle business eventually. So. So what are some of the things holding you back from stepping on the gas on, on this hospitality enterprise? Sure. Um, well, there's a ranch still to manage. That's worth saying. This is about a full-time job anyway. And like you said, the campers want to talk. The campers want to interact. Um, we actually sell ranch tours for $100. You get a couple hours with me and the ranger, and I take you around and show you all the sites. And we go to the top and everything. Um, and so for me, what I found last year was from about 3 o'clock on, I needed to be dedicating myself to the campground. Um, which makes it harder as you're trying to do ranch work and <laughs> clean up after floods and everything else. Uh, that's really the biggest challenge. Like um, ranch work there. always has a schedule, right? Right, right. And, and you know, to be honest, after we get mobbed up, we, we don't mob as much in the spring, as much in the, the winter. Um, but as we get mobbed up here in the spring, the truth is I can still get the mob moved in a couple of hours and, and still be able to get a lot of the other stuff done, but there's just always lots of work. That's, that's how it's always going to be, you know, on any farm, there's never, you're never going to get it all done is what I finally decided. 
Um, and so for us to really be able to focus on the hospitality stuff, what we're kind of, what I'm going to start be angling towards, I guess, um, is finding people who want to help with, with maybe the ranch side or do some of the other stuff. Um, for us, it makes sense to maybe for me to concentrate on the hip camp stuff, the, the campground. And if I could find the right person that maybe wants to start their own enterprise out here with sheep or goats or pigs or chickens or whatever, um, you know, I'm at a point now, if they'll come help me move my cows, I'd give them the land uh, to use, at least to get them their, their business started. My apologies. <laughs> Um, to get their business started, I, I, that makes sense to me to try to bring in other people who are excited about regenerative agriculture to find uh, what we're doing real slowly. And I guess, you know, put it out there on a podcast is speeding it up a little bit. But I've been out looking for people, somebody who would who would be interested in something like that so that they could do all the cool stuff that we talk about on the regen ag side that I just don't always feel like I have the chance to do. Um, we mm -hmm. should be we should either be a savory hub or something like that. And I, I don't necessarily feel like I've got the energy to put into that. My, that does take a lot of energy or interests lie elsewhere. And, and while I would love to eventually host some big gatherings and some, you know, how are we going to feed the world in the future types of gatherings? Um, the, the best thing for us to do is to look at how we can help other people to get started in this and maybe come in and take advantage of some of our resources that we can't right now. So before we get too far away from it, you know, I'm, I'm really in a very similar place that you are, Chad. If somebody came up to me and was like, hey, I'll come help you move your cows. I'll run your polywire. You just let me run goats. And I'd be like, oh, you're going to take care of that brush problem for me and take care of <laughs> and move my cows and I don't have to pay you? Deal. So my email my contact information is well known. You can contact me, Chad. Put your email out right now so people can people know how to get a hold of you if they want to take you up on that offer or send you a proposal. Sure, you bet. My email is c a e tuttle t u t t l e, and then the number one at gmail. And then we've also got um, a pretty good website up and running now for c two t ranchcom and you could go there and get hold of us as well. And that has a lot of other stuff about our story. Yeah. Pictures and all the other fun stuff. So. You said our story. So there's another part, right? Well, yes, I'm married. Uh, my wife, Cynthia, um, we got married in 2017, but have been together since 2012, I guess. Um, I figured any woman who could put up with me through the drought of 2012 was probably worth keeping around. Um, that That's reasonable. That's reasonable. I lived through that drought, yeah. too. <laughs> I know. I understand. Uh, every one of us that lived through it's got the stories to tell for sure. Uh, and then we've got um, between the, the two of us, we've got uh, four children, and then we've also adopted two a niece and a nephew that were raising a four and an eight year old. So yeah, there's kids running around here and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um. So I just saw this article about Scotland and Italy, or spending billions of dollars to improve their infrastructure so that people can come and work there remotely. So they're going to have like hubs for people to visit. It's, I mean, sure. basically what you're doing, Chad, like it's, it's an amazing mm -hmm. I, concept. People are going to go destination work from, from home, right? Remotely. Exactly. Right. Why, why wouldn't you, if, if you weren't tied to a physical place, right? <laughs> we just proved a whole bunch of people aren't, 
um, if I wasn't tied to this ranch, I would be somewhere else. I, I would either, I mean, I'd be in Egypt or I'd be, I mean, I'd love to be in lots of other places. So um, yeah, it makes sense. We think to, if you can offer up a nice secluded resort style feel, but still a campground, um, people will come to it. We're sure of it. Uh, we, we saw that last year. Yeah, I've uh, I've been able to work from home for the past four years now. So I've been able to live in the Caribbean, California, Texas, Idaho, and Kansas. And people are like, what is that like? What is that life like? I'm like, it's actually really great because when I go on vacation, I just have to let them know I'm going to stay in Idaho for an extra week or stay here. And they're like, as long as you have good internet, that's all that matters. Right. So. Yeah, it's a paradigm change for a whole lot of yeah. people, right? It's mm-hmm. going to be a major way we do things in the future. So let's see how we can fit into that as an industry. Appeal Absolutely. to the people who are looking for. And in my experience, people want to know where the food's coming from. Um, the vast majority, of, I, I met more people from New York City, Washington, D.C., and L.A. last year in the summer than I had my entire life before that. And without exception, they were all very interested and COVID made it very obvious to them that there were some holes in the in the food chain, right? And so they were very interested in this deal. What what could we do different? And talk about some great campfire conversations um, with people outside of agriculture learning about an opportunity here to really make a difference. Um, it was it was an eye opening experience, and I think it's I think going around and talking to farmers is a great idea. I think that. Um, the guys that go around like, well, I've, I've heard Gabe Brown speak several times and lots of other guys, but you know, most, most of us sat in that audience and you change, you change lives pretty slowly at that rate because most farmers aren't going to be changing their paradigms real quickly. We do that pretty slowly in agriculture. Um, but boy, if you can expose some people from LA to the honest truth about how we could be raising our food and how we are raising our food, uh, their eyes pop open. That's a big difference for them. They start making difference uh, changes in how they buy things right away. They start making better choices with their food dollars, and they start asking mm-hmm. questions. And I think these a lot of these big mega multinational mega food corporations do not want a lot of these questions being asked. Sure, shining shining the light on some of this stuff is probably the silver lining of COVID, right? We can we can now stand up and say, hey, what we were predicting was wrong with your food supply system really is. Mm-hmm. And here's a better way to do this. If you if you know your farmer or if we develop the regional food supply systems like Mike Calicrate talks about, or however we go about this entire system, the food hubs is a great idea. Our system of trying to be direct market, our goal eventually is to be direct market as much as we can through campground stuff. And then the rest of it, we hope to be producing at a low enough cost that we could go wholesale or wherever it's got to go. Um, I know that's not the best choice, but until you've got a whole lot of population you can sell a product to, you kind of have to take what you can. Um, and, I, and I think that'll still work out here. It's just it would be nice to have that wholesale option be something other than the big corporation that you know is screwing you over um, because that's what they've been doing. Hopefully someday we'll get that system built. I think it's possible. You know, I, I was just sitting here thinking about the genius of offering your guests a beef basket. And, you know, they're getting a good deal. You're getting a good price. And they're taking the ranch with them. 
for several days, and they're going to talk about it for several days as they consume mm-hmm. that meat. And maybe they're running around, maybe they're hitting other campgrounds and they're sharing that meat with people that they meet and and share a meal with <laughs> over a fire. So, you know, those kind of things, we can't underestimate the value in positive public relations of some of those things. And just planting those seeds and sparks of, of getting people to start asking questions about where their food comes from and what's in it. Exactly. And that's all you really do is, is plant the seeds and see where they go. And, and again, the thing that we love about this is about the campground idea is that you get to constantly do that new, you get this constant influx of different people all the time. Um, and yeah, eventually you'll, you get to where you get some repeats and everything else, but um, constantly having a new bunch of people interested in this is is truly unique that's not easy to come by in an industry like that um it's pretty hard to go out anywhere locally you know if you're trying to go to a farmer's market you don't necessarily find a new clientele every week um, because the same people go there but boy campers they change and they're always moving and so you get to see somebody new all the time tell that story so what are some of the what are some of the best reactions you've had from campers about either your land or regenerative agriculture or or about your beef? Um, <laughs> again, we're very fortunate. We I think we had 170 written reviews left last year, and they were 100% positive. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, so and that doesn't happen very often on the internet. Everybody knows how snarky internet reviews can get. Um, we were we were very pleased to see to see us 100% positive, and and that'll go away someday. We'll get it. We'll get one in that we don't make happy. But um, you know, the obvious, the land beauty um, is something that we are just blessed to have. We we had no control over that. Uh, for me, the the most valuable feedback I think has been uh, just through the whole conversation of regenerative agriculture. Um, we had <laughs> we had a couple of motorcyclists make reservations last September um, and they wanted to hammock camp. And so we found or we picked out the right spot and they turned out to be documentary filmmakers making their way across America for Sony and NBC. And they were at the time they were headed out West to, to shoot stuff on the, the wildfires. Um, but they were shooting a series called across or in America, I guess is how they titled it. And they ended up staying an extra day and we took them all around the ranch and they shot footage and had similar conversations to, to like what we're having now about how we, how we should be approaching feeding the world, what, you know, how this should look. Um, that was easily my most positive feedback was those two. We, we continue to correspond with them. And um, I don't think anything's made the air yet, but from the footage they shot, but I know they're working on all that stuff. Editing apparently takes forever on things like that, but regardless, um, I, those guys, they're from New York city <laughs> and, you know, traveling all around and looking for good human interest stories, but they were blown away by the idea that we could fix all this by how we farm. We could fix all this by raising better food, by, by doing away with, with the pre-processed junk that's not helping anybody. Um, they left here thinking there might actually be a little bit of a solution, mm-hmm. um, which is fun. There, there's an awful lot of cynicism out there. If, if you live in New York City and you just watch the news – I don't know. Are you very optimistic about the future? I, most of them don't seem to be until they get out here and kind of do something different. Yeah. yeah. I think if you watch too much CNN and NBC and CBS, you just can't help but be depressed about oh. the state of the world. Even Fox, like, uh, 
like, you know, the heat of the elections and COVID and just everything else thrown into it right sure. last year. I was pretty depressed because I was I was staying inside, not going out, not going like out shopping or whatever or outdoors, going, you know, to restaurants. And then I think it was my girlfriend was like, you need to get out. Like you are just you're absorbing a lot of negative energy when that's not how your real world is. So. And it's right. You're I mean, even my wife, if she's not if she doesn't get into the ranger every couple of days and ride around and help me check cows and help. I mean, you absorb that. Like you said, the negative stuff that you're hearing all the time, I mean, it weighs on people. Uh, I, I'm convinced regardless of even even if you don't watch the political stuff, even if you've decided to completely leave all that stuff behind, um, the general news is going to be negative um, mm -hmm. that those people hear. That's just how it is. Uh, and like I said, a lot of people left here thinking, boy, maybe there's a little something different. And about that time, Kiss the Ground came out on Netflix. So we were able to refer some people to that. And, you know, all of a sudden I've got campers emailing me going, hey, have you heard of this guy? Have you ever heard of, you know, Gabe Brown was mentioned one time by somebody and just all kinds of different people. They'd be like, how about this? And it's fun because once they go down that little particular rabbit hole, they find that they can change a whole lot of things in their life, which is cool. Start changing lives for, for the better all the way across. Right on. Right on. I'm going to, CK, you got anything? I'm going to have to go to, go to the folder. What a, <laughs> so, you, so your wife's no longer nursing, right? No, she's a full-time housewife. And, yeah. Yeah. That's me. Good. I'll make a note. We'll fix this little part. Yeah. I've, I like one of the questions. Um, if you could bring anyone back from the dead, who would it be? <laughs> bring anyone back from the dead? <laughs> Is it, I guess, maybe your, your past, uh, the past landowner. <laughs> um, uh, um, <laughs> Mark was an interesting individual. Um, I'm trying to think. I listened to. I've listened to most or all of your other podcasts. I think. Um, how did Brian ask that question differently? He said, "Who would you have if you could bring anybody back to have supper with?" Or yeah, 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 right? yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, to visit. And actually, I wouldn't bring anybody back. I'd love to sit down with Elon Musk. Um, yeah, I think, I think he'd be fascinating to talk to. And honestly, I think he needs to hear what regenerative agriculture could do. I think he would be somewhat interested. Um, the yeah, do, do you think he'll listen, though? You know, Elon's all about solutions. Um, and it's a solution. It's a truth solution. So, I, I, And I get that. You know, I, I've been trying to chirp at him on Twitter for, for months now. I've been yeah. chirping at Bill Gates, too. I'm reading that book. and Good luck. I, yeah, I don't even want to get started on that, on Bill <laughs> Gates' book. And wow. Uh, but yeah, yeah Elon. Tough, isn't it? Elon... He, my biggest problem with Elon is, like, I love what he's doing with SpaceX. I'm a big SpaceX fan. Like, I'm just waiting for him. Like, as as we're recording this, uh, SN15 is on the pad. I think they're going to go for a right. test maybe today or tomorrow. Um, uh, the big booster, they're getting ready to test the big booster, like, maybe next week. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty cool what he's doing. But I've also kind of looked into logistics 
of just how many starships that guy's going to have to build to get his Mars goal in 30 years. Like, he's oh, going to have thousands. to thousands upon thousands mm-hmm. upon thousands of those things to move all the tonnage to Mars. Okay, and so then, for those of us not following Elon Musk's, what is this? <laughs> well, he wants to colonize Mars. Okay. Like, and he wants to do it in like 30 years. He wants to put, I don't know, this absurd amount of people on Mars in 30 years. I mean, it's well, a very... a million, I think, ultimately, yeah. It's a very mm-hmm. audacious plan. I just want to know how he's going to feed everybody with food grown on Mars without taking ruminants and poultry with him. Agreed. Um, and I think that there's some challenges there that, that they'll have to deal with for sure. Um, and on the Mars mission, especially that'll probably look a little different than we normally think of as regenerative agriculture. Although it's probably going to look something like it only done without the ruminants done with biology brought in undoubtedly. Um, which is kind of what you have to do when you're talking about colonizing a different planet. But I mean, can um, can I you like replicate about? the complex interactions of biology and the cow and the forage in a vat? Not completely, I'm sure. I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think I think that there's all kinds of challenges, technological hurdles to overcome on that entire project, um, and that's not even really um, for me. What I what I enjoy about Elon Musk is he's taken at least three different industries, um, he, the finance industry. He set on its head through PayPal. Um, he's just completely oh, changed. So, and honestly, they forced him out as CEO at PayPal before he could really make the changes. But the, he was going to do some other stuff there that he's still got in the back burner. But he loves the idea of upsetting all these industries. And then he did the same thing with the automobile industry with Tesla. He is completely revamping yeah. how they look at things. And, and then he's doing the same thing, obviously, with space, SpaceX. And I think those of us who are early adopters into this regenerative ag movement, um, I think that we like the idea of, or at least I like the idea of paradigm breaking, because most of the industries, most of the, just the institutions that we have as humans, the paradigms are wrong. Um, most of us would like to change a lot of things about how education's done health. I mean, don't, don't go down the hole of health because that's going to tie right back into the ag stuff and it, right. But wait, the further I went down the regenerative agriculture rabbit hole, the more I realized everything was wrong um, with lots of different institutions out there. Elon's really good at tearing that stuff down. And he would be, if, if he would understand it and would agree with it, he would be an ideal spokesman just to lead the charge uh, Yeah, because people will listen. And, and while I think I mean, I, I would think people like Gabe Brown are super excited, right? Because this movement's picking up steam. He's been out here talking about this stuff for 20 years, and we finally start to see some stuff picking up steam. Well, we could move it really quick in our generation if we could find somebody who could stand up and get the attention of all the people who are talking about reductionist solutions and instead go, here's the holistic solution. And And Elon thinks holistically. He doesn't necessarily – talk about the holistic thought process, but that's how he thinks. If you read his books and, and pay attention to what he's talking about, he thinks holistically. He'll understand that. Yeah. In my opinion. I think the <laughs> so last thing I really listened to of his was the interview with Rogan where they were smoking on the air. Oh really? And I'm not sure I finished that one. 
But I, yeah, no, I do watch this. I do watch uh, a lot of his stuff that he talks about SpaceX and you know his his big Tesla announcements. I try to pay attention to that stuff and sure. keep up with where he is on energy energy density of batteries per cost unit and right. see where he's at per cost unit of mass to orbit. Right. Because you know right. we're we're in business too. We can understand those terms, but. Right. And both, I was going to say, and you and I have talked about that before, how, how that could very easily change on him pretty great. I mean, the supply chains could change a lot and it, and it not be near as advantageous for him to be doing the things he's doing. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with those problems. Again, he's, he's a holistic thought process manager, it seems like anyway. And we'll see. We'll see if he can find his way through those hurdles. So. Like they have this new format battery coming out. They've been talking about it for a couple months. It's called the forty six eighty. It's a it's a really short fat cell, and they've come up with a new manufacturing process, and it's it's a big deal. But they're having problems scaling it up. But the reason they had to the reason they're designing these batteries, and they're they're keep trying to find more abundant materials to use for their batteries is because they realized there isn't enough of these, you know, neodymium, you know, there isn't enough neodymium in the world to make all the batteries that we need. So we got to find something else. Like similarly, you know, like a thousand starships, the guy's got to build thousands of starships (laughs) and BFRs. Like that is just an absurd amount of stainless steel. And each one of those BFRs is going to have like, 30 freaking rocket engines on it. Like, you know, even though it's reusable, we're talking about a lot of raw materials that have got to go into it and sure. a lot of energy to manufacture it. And I guess for me, and I completely agree with you, and, and I understand people are concerned about the use of those materials. For me, I read articles about a, billion Pentagon budget or something like that next year. And I think maybe, maybe if we all put resources into something like colonization instead of the other direction, Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe that's a better use of them. Um, I, I don't personally necessarily buy into the whole super limited resource idea. Um, There's enough asteroids. There's an asteroid out there that if we mined it, it could turn every one of us into a trillionaire. There's enough gold and silver on it. We just have to get to it. Um, so, and that's, and now we're back to technical stuff, which is something that people like Elon Musk and, and just generally we tend to be good at. So let's figure it out. Um, there's enough stuff out there. I, I, I think the, the question needs to be, do we want, what kind of society we, do we want by 2050? Do we want a technologically advanced interstellar thinking society Um or do that that also understands how to raise their food in such a way to not destroy their home planet um, and and can do that or do we want bill gates's version which is different um he wants lots more of the technologically stuff involved in agriculture right um, it, and i again i think that that's stuff that should be posed to, to elon because uh, I, I think both Asian. stories end the same way i mean both yeah. both stories start the same way but they end dramatically mm. different you know, yeah, one way, if we go down Bill Gates's route, if we go down Bill Gates's path, we'll be living on a chemically dead world within within a century. Yep. And we will, yeah. we will have to leave. We'll have to leave. I want to ask a question. 
do we really think Bill Gates understands what he what's he what's being done in his name right now? Like, does, is he aware of it, or is he just that rich that he has people pulling all these strings in Bill Gates's name? Uh, well, he came out and said the other day, like you know he he owns like two hundred forty two thousand acres of farm ground, right? So that kind of got to be news, and then he was interviewed, and then he said, "Well, I didn't really." That that really wasn't my decision. My people did that because we want to own the seeds. And it has nothing to do with climate. I'm, has, I'm has just... nothing to do with the climate. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the environment. We just bought those farms because we want a place to raise our version of patented seeds. And it's like, dude, you just you seriously became the world's single largest polluter by by being the world's largest farmland owner in the United States. He's the world's single largest polluter. I guarantee it. Well, he just buys offsets. It doesn't matter. He yeah. buys offsets. That's what he said. That's true. And that's how he's going to approach this is buying the offsets. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little premature to get into some of the economics, but you know, the price he's paying for offsets are 10 times what they're being sold for on the European market. Sure. And it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm, not very far through his book. And it's almost like he's bragging about how much money he's spending on Mm -hmm. these solutions because we have to do something. We have to try, we have to find these things, even though they may, may may not pay off or it may be a loss. We have to invest in these technologies and it's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, but not a piece. It's amazing that somebody can throw around money like that. Yeah. Like, you know, to us three, the, like, that's not even a comprehensible amount of money. No. Right. <laughs> and, and sure, CK, I would, I mean, I, I would think that um, no matter how much, and I saw the same article you did, Brian, about how he doesn't, how that was his team buying the farm ground and everything else. At the end of the day, he's an investor in the fake meat. Um, he's an investor into all of the chemical stuff. Um, whether or not he's really out to show us how we should be feeding the world, which is kind of my take on it. Um, or if he's just doing it for an investment, I think either way we end up in the same pretty negative yeah. spot with him calling the shots. Uh, that's, that's going to be a problem for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I, I can't disagree with anything you just said, Chad at all. And then to add a layer, he wants to do the technology to dim the sun, right? So sure. he's going to have yeah. ultimate control. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. dim the sun and then I'll have all the patented seeds that can grow in the shade. And you'll have to buy all your food for me and it'll all be impossible burgers. If right. there was some evil person trying to take over the world, this would be the script for it. It's right. That's hard to believe. And I'm not accusing him of that. But this no. is how you would write that script. Um, you would say, oh, well, now I'm going to control the sunlight that falls on the ground. <laughs> it's like, for the betterment, yes. right? For the good. Yes. It's and like we almost have a – it, so. it, It's like we have a Lex Luthor coming up in in Bill Gates, <laughs> but then we have a billionaire rich guy of Elon Musk that's going to be Batman. And even though, yeah, I know Lex Luthor Batman never happened, but that's, <laughs> Batman didn't have yes. a comparable rich guy villain because he was the rich guy. <laughs> Superman wasn't rich, I guess, huh? No, no. Yeah. Oh, poor farm kid, yeah. <laughs> poor farm kid from our part of the world, actually. Right, exactly. But yes, that's what, I mean, Elon Musk could play that role. That's why I'd love to have dinner with him. Um, let's set up a the two richest men in the world 
Well, if the two richest men in the world both believe that we're going to do this thing real, really differently and get behind it, both of them, one of them's going to win. And we think we know who that would be. I think there's an obvious choice that the public would like uh, versus more processed stuff, more chemicals. Let's go the regenerative ag route. It's just a matter of getting that message out there. Um, and that's that's why I like Elon Musk. That's the only reason, really, to be honest with you. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm like having dreams right now, like of yeah. Joe Rogan, Alan Savory, right? Elon Musk and Bill Gates. <laughs> Like, I was thinking, oh, man, I'd, that'd be pretty cool if we could get Elon and Bill on this podcast and get them to debate. But, you know, I don't you think I'm the have... right guy for that, but I think that's Joe Rogan material. <laughs> yeah, you could do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that Gates would do that just because he'd get open to so much stuff, but because he doesn't do a lot of those kinds of things. Yeah, he probably wouldn't want to ask. He doesn't want to be asked questions he doesn't already know in advance, I don't think. I would agree, and I would, I would hazard the guess based off of my reading of his book and his interviews. He has decided that that is um, he knows the answer to this question already. He knows yeah. how we should be feeding people in 2050. And again, I, we're all going to disagree with that. The three of us will anyway. Unfortunately, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are going to end up going along with them. But you know, that's I guess that's neither here nor there. <laughs> You know, we, and that, and that's there's our challenge, right? Uh, that's kind of what what we found out um, by talking to the people straight out of the cities, straight out of LA and Washington D.C. and New York. Um, they didn't necessarily want the processed food. Uh, they were as concerned about glyphosate in their food as as some of the other people are. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's more a matter of getting the message out. I think I I still think that our message resonates much better with the average person, far better. And when you start talking about, you know, adding in some transparency in there, and as I like to say, shake the hand that feeds you, you know, get that direct connection between producer and consumer. And that way there's no bullshit. Like, it, yeah, you know, you hand there. somebody meat and they say, is this antibiotic free? And you go, yeah, because I never put a needle in that cow's neck. Right. Right. I can guarantee those things. And people are thrilled to hear that. I mean, obviously, no, I, we could never say that the cows had never been anywhere else than the ranch because they were all bought cows when we first started. But at this point in time, as we're starting to bring cattle into the supply chain, that's what we can say. The cattle have all been on the ranch the whole time they were born. They were, you know, <laughs> they were harvested here locally. They never had anything given to them. People love that. People, people will buy extra from for something like that. I actually, I've, I've changed my operation up a little bit this year, and I'm, I'm thinking that uh, that I've got two bulls that are going to go to the grinder this year just because I'll get a lot more money out of them than I will at the sale barn. And you know, all, I, I think we can both agree, all you have to do on social media right now as a livestock producer is say, hey, I've got 400 pounds of ground beef, $7 a pound. Who wants it? And it's gone. That was sure the case for quite a while. I, I don't know how the, the it's moving through social media now, but I, I mean, it seems like everybody's moving the product they get. Um, the challenging part, of course, is is finding butcher dates and things like that around. That's That's been our biggest hiccup, actually, is finding enough slaughter capacity to, to keep up. We're not wanting to go super big right away, um, but just finding dates is hard. Right, and 
So you said you were caught up on podcasts. So what did you think about Mike Calicrate back in episode four? And you kind of got into that a little bit earlier. What are some thoughts sure. you have on that? I, I like Mike. I've known Mike for a lot of years. I mean, another Western Kansas farm guy. And I actually was at a bank in Goodland, and that's just south of where he used to be at St. Francis. And so I knew of him then and actually have a Calicrate bander and things. Um, Mike and I approach things a lot differently lots of times and can get sideways when it comes to what we think our politicians should be doing for us. Um, and that, that, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, that's, that's – I'm, I'm there with Mike too. It's okay. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but I, I've always – I was very interested in his mobile um, processing platform that he'd been doing. Um, if we could ever find somebody who wanted to come down here and start their own enterprise, I think some kind of mobile processing would make great sense for our area or even like he talked about a standalone deal that was at the right spot or something. I think that that's a, a great thing that he's been a pioneer on was, is those kinds of smaller processing plants. Um, that was the, that was probably the most interesting part. Plus um, of that podcast, he was very upfront that if you try to get into a wholesale market with that kind of a deal, they will eat you alive. Um, he was very direct. Stay, stay direct to consumer if at all possible. Um, if you can pick up some restaurants, all well and good, or like in our case, you know, a campground is a great deal, but um, the wholesale deal, stay away from. So that's why we're trying to stay small enough. We're not worrying about wholesale and meat because uh, I don't think it's possible to be profitable in that. And Mike made that very clear. So. I, I, and that's a great point, you know, because as, as soon as you get, it'll work for a while, but as soon as you start doing the volume that one of the biggies mm-hmm. notice you, yeah, it's over, yeah. you're done. They're going to shut you down. Yeah, you won't be able to compete, clearly. I mean, if Mike Calicrate couldn't compete for all those years with full feedlots of cattle and everything, I mean, when they decided to shut him down and not buy his cattle, that's just what they did. And um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. You just, yeah, you learn. I, I think the goal should be, if we think this food system isn't right, and Mike is completely right on that. I read a lot of his blogs, and he's talking a lot about the local and regional food systems. Um, so we don't think this food system is right at all. So we shouldn't be selling into the wholesale market. We should be right. trying to avoid that deal at all costs. Um, we should just be building it from the ground up. Unfortunately, that's what it looks like. Um, it would be nice to see some people try to come in and be conglomerators who don't make us all reinvent the wheel from the very beginning, because not everybody wants to do that. <laughs> I've got my wheel spinning. So Matt, Mike and I have been Good. corresponding. So I, I think there's opportunities out there like crazy for people so who want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what have you been talking to Mike about CK? Um, okay. Got so any you secret know, plans? Uh, it's not really a secret. It's just kind of daydreaming at this point, but, uh, so we're going to be moving back to Idaho late this summer and Joel be, will be doing the food animal veterinary practice. I want him to get a USDA certification so he can approve the slaughters. Um, and then he has, you know, he has five brothers and, and four sisters and they all need jobs. So I've, I was thinking about maybe we get this butcher unit and have them outfitted. And I actually pitched the idea to, to his brothers them being like, you know, equal investors. Um, they were super excited about it. I think we're going to, we're going to try to do that in like the Boise area and have the marketplace there. Um, since you'll have the traffic. Um, and then I've just been kind of asking Mike where he went to get the, the MSUs. I think that 
that charity organization is not in in practice any longer. So I went to Friesla where Brian sent me as well and looked at their their units. Um, and I think um, I think in the pasture map, Soil Works Natural Capital side too, they're looking at investing in mobile butchers too for Texas. So, I mean, I know. Uh, Montana's looking to do it. Some people in Virginia were looking to do it. So I think because of COVID and what you're saying, it, and I think just just rural food security, it makes sense to take back that power. Couldn't agree more. I'd love to see you and a lot of other people do stuff like that. I think if we could, I think we could start a whole new entrepreneur class. Absolutely. Centered around that. And, and you know, how long has it been since you could really be a true entrepreneur in agriculture? Because- yeah, it's been since before my time. I'm 48 years old and trying to get started in any facet of whether you wanted to open a butcher plant or whether you wanted to start a farm. Boy, it's just almost impossible. And that's what's so exciting about this, that we see people like yourself that could, they're thinking their wheels are spinning. They're ready to go out and do something. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Yeah. So what are some other things that people can do to start moving the needle? I mean, we've, we've covered a lot. Um now, what are some other ways, what are some other unexplored avenues that we could be using to, to get our message out, Chad? Anything come up for you? Well, you know, for us, obviously, um, the campground stuff is going to be primary. Um, yeah, we, I think it's pretty hard to get much traction on lots of social media. I think we can go out and make posts and have a nice, good farm page and everything else, but that doesn't necessarily move the needle a lot for a lot of people. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it takes some real direct interaction, um, whether we're going to them or they're coming to us. So for me, that's what it's going to be is the direct interaction. Well, how do you think we can get more of that? As these paradigms change, I think we get more of it by appealing to what people want to do differently as people are able to go out and work remotely um, and, and travel more and but maybe fly less um, because that's obviously going to be the case. I think that's, I mean, that's our goal, clearly. That's our focus. Um, again, if you if you decide to go to farmer's markets, you only see a certain number of people. And so you the goal really should be to try to get out to as wide of a base as possible. And um, building something that appeals to people to come to you, whether it's on one primitive site or whether it's a bunch of them, I think makes sense. I think that's how you do it. Okay. So I'm kind of curious now. So what's been your biggest wreck besides the flood? What's been your, your, the biggest management induced wreck Mm, and what, what did it teach you? (laughs) That's the fun part about this holistic management business, right? Every, every, Every screw up you make just shows up in <laughs> glaring detail because there's, there's, I mean, you can't blame anybody else. You're the one that left the cows on too long for sure. And that probably my most ongoing management challenge anyway, and it's been a wreck at times has been um, to not move cows fast enough to take too much and not leave enough residue. Um, and especially, you know, there again, as we got into flood situations, all of a sudden 600 acres of farm ground are out of production and, you're faced with colon and you're faced with not in near as much forage resources as you thought you had. And um, that the tendency to dwaddle over 
and try to get all you can get out of the grass has been my biggest single challenge through this whole process. And I am, I am, <laughs> I start out each season reminding myself to not let that happen again. And I, I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to get it tattooed on my eyelids at some point, just, just because um, that's, I think that's the biggest challenge that a lot of people get into. Uh, other than that, um, as we went through the floods, I, with all of that ground, there was all of a sudden out of production. We were faced with having to reclaim it. We were faced with it just not being anything at all. Um, making decisions quicker, um, and this is where some of the ranching for profit stuff would help, I think, for, for my personal situation. Um, making the decisions to call quicker. In retrospect, I should have sold an awful lot of animals in November of 18. And instead I held on to my original marketing plan. And, and unfortunately we got into a really wet winter in 18 too. We had a wet summer in 18 and then another one in 19, but the wet winter was wet and we actually had springs opening up on the hillsides and springs popping up where we didn't used to have them. And at first you're like, Oh, this is pretty exciting because this stuff is working. And then you realize that um, you've got a real mess because cows are getting stuck in the mud and it's just a miserable, it was a miserable winter, the winter of 18. Um, and that was, <laughs> I guess that was a wreck as far as I was concerned, no matter what would have happened on that. Um, I should have, if I would have known what I know now, I would have sent a lot of animals to the sale um, that we should have called quicker. Managing in a crisis is tough. And that's part of what's been interesting watching people who have never managed in a crisis, politicians, try to manage their way through COVID. A mm. um, couple of years of managing through crisis like we've seen out here, and you're like, oh, well, sometimes you just have to stop and wait and see because you don't know. You don't know the right answer. And there might not even be a right answer. Um, you just have to make a decision based off the best information at the time. And if you're wrong, you live with consequences. If you screw the field up, you think, well, I'm going to try to fix it next year and go back and do it again. And if you screw it up bad enough and it upsets you that much, don't go over there. Stay away. <laughs> I heard you talk about that lane that you had thought you'd screwed up and then you went back and it was totally fixed. And we've got some areas like that where I thought, man, I don't even want to see this. And and then you go back and you think, well, that wasn't near as bad of a deal as I as it could have been. Yeah, man, that was and some of them are worse. <laughs> yeah well then you just don't go back there again for another year well, maybe it's fixed right, maybe yeah. it's not and or... honestly you know we break out of some out of some paradigms on a pretty regular basis because i'm actually disking up ground right now um as part of this reclamation process if you haven't farmed ground for two or three years and it's had water sitting on it for 18 or 24 months out of it and you've had to graze cattle because that was the only thing green on the ranch at the time or the only extra forage you had um Sometimes you just have to start all over. That's the only thing I could think to do. I'm a no-tiller by nature, but we pulled the disc out and started disking it up to reclaim that ground and helped ourselves. We proved last year we got better stands if we did that. So sometimes it's a matter of throwing the whole rule book out the window and doing stuff yeah. that doesn't seem right at all. Uh, that's, you just I, live with those. I love that you brought that up because I feel like I've noticed in a lot of like the region ag groups, uh, people like quitting the group because they're like, man, these holier than thou people are telling me what I should and shouldn't do. And that's not like the sure. point of this group. And um, I don't know. I just hear that common thread and I'm like, okay, like, you know, sometimes you do things that aren't in your guidelines, but, but it makes sense for my context and what my needs are. And exactly. that that's the point. It's more of a community than a rule book. I think it's like an 80% community. 
I think yeah. we can all find 80% commonality out of the regenerative rule book with any other producer. But to get closer than that, I think that, you know, you have to be, you have to look real hard and find two very specific operations that are extremely, extremely similar. Agreed. What, what's the phrase that you use, Brian, about um, conception or contextually appropriate? Contextually management? appropriate management. Yeah. I, and I think that makes sense. I mean, we don't want to be like Joel Salatin because I can't mimic that. I don't have the same resources. I don't have the same population base. He doesn't have this. He can't do the things I'm going to be able to do. Um, but like you said, 80% of the time, we can agree that we're holistically working to make better decisions to make positive progress for the soil. That's my goal anyway. And hope that everything else will kind of fall into place once we get to that point. And we can agree with that with most people. <clears throat> Gabe Brown told me not to diss the ground. I totally understand why they are against that kind of stuff. But until you're living this life and you look at those fields that have been flooded and pugged up and you think until you actually have to make that decision, it's it's a lot easier to just say, oh, no, stick with the no-till and the chemicals. But when push comes to self, sometimes you you have to make changes. You just do. You do what's appropriate. And we'll get back to it. Um, tearing up that ground is going to be a good thing because now it'll be in good production. And then we'll get back to the no-till and, and our regular crop rotation on it. And it'll be it'll be the right thing to have done, I hope. So that'll be covered. That'll be high density grazing cover crops, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 We do an oat cover crop in the spring. And then um, usually what we're going to be doing, the oats, it's an oat based cover crop. Obviously it's got a whole bunch of other stuff in there. And then we'll try to do a wheat one also in the fall and graze both of those out. And then the next year we'll go in with a summer based feed mix um, that, that will graze either, either graze or stockpile. So um, that's basically three cover crops in two years, and that's how our rotation works. Cool, cool. Been seeing good animal performance with that, and good uh, good animal health. Well, <laughs> we were off to a blazing start back in eighteen when everything went to hell. <laughs> so yeah, we we have seen we have seen the effects that we wanted to see. Um, we also have not been able to do it as as consistently as we wanted to because we were fighting the floods. And so it's been, and we don't track things like daily gains or anything, obviously with the cows, um, but we we saw enough of the progress to feel like we were on the right track. We, we, it sure feels a lot better than the typical, the way we were doing it anyway. Um, and, and as far as the rest of it, the fact that we were rotationally grazing and doing the other management is what's allowed us to keep the cows out here that we've still got. Um, we didn't have to liquidate as many cows We didn't have, when we lost all that production. Um, so yeah, we definitely, and, and again, we had, we went through a rainy period, but we saw, we saw springs that were supposed to be springs that had stopped, come back online and haven't stopped since. So we feel like, we feel like there's some positive things there that, that we could already see the water cycle was starting to respond to us. We live the water cycle on this place because the river's right here. We have lots of spring. In addition to the river, we have about two miles of spring fed creeks that feed into the river. And so when that stuff all kind of went away, when spring started drying up, I thought, I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong here. And, and to have those come back up um, is, is wonderful because we don't, we only have one windmill on the whole ranch and it, we don't pump it. It's, we water out of live water year round. And so um, we live that water cycle and that's where we saw it first, for sure. Wow. That's, I've got quite a bit of live water on my place, uh, but I also pump a lot. I, I'm probably 
60 to 70 percent of my water is is all pumped water during the growing season but you know when it's when it's dormant and it's cold i like to put them down on the creek so i don't so much have to worry about going out and beating ice out of tanks with a freaking sledgehammer so yeah what's the best advice you wish that you had gotten on day one of ranching well move your cows i guess move your cows more often the advent of polybraid <laughs> makes that whole deal look differently than back when i first started doing it because it wasn't as polybraid wasn't as readily accessible um and all of that stuff is good i you know since we started since i started kind of down this process with kit farrow uh, the easy thing to do is to move to ranching in sync with nature whatever that looks like on your place for us typically we calve in may and june um, we actually have some early calvers this year due to covid um, changes that we made um, and that reminded me why i don't calve calving during the, the polar vortex or right before the polar vortex and right after i didn't have any during the cold weather but calving during that time reminded me why i calve in may and june and so calving in sync with nature i think is a huge thing um there's a few different things. Our goal, ultimately, typically we would retain 100% of our heifers and roll them into the breeding herd. And whatever gets bred gets bred and gets retained. And what doesn't get bred would go into meat production for what's going to be campground meat sales. Um, and I really like that model. I've worked that model as a banker versus comparing it to having to buy your own replacements and everything. I love that model. That's the one thing that I would do different from day one probably is just retain all heifers and keep that pipeline really full all the time of those heifers. Um, for me, that's, that's something we don't talk about in regenerative agriculture very much, but for me, that's a smart profit decision. That's a ranching for profit decision actually is for, for me personally. Um, and then obviously the regenerative ag stuff, if you can make two ranchers out of one, just because you move your cows every day, why wouldn't you do that? Um, so to me, this is a great opportunity, a great time. You can meld a whole bunch of really cool information that's out there and come up with a pretty cool ranch by the time you're done, um, especially somebody like UCK that's talking about getting into a different business or something like that. Um, you've got so many more, so much more knowledge out there than we had 20 years ago on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really fun. Um, I feel like when I first wanted to get an ag, I was a conventional paradigm. I felt like there was not a lot of hope or not a lot of opportunities. And it wasn't even just because I was a woman. Like I had nothing to do with that because I knew once I can show up to a room, I'd always going to outperform the men anyways. Um, <laughs> it's joking. Uh, but, but I felt like, man, I can't afford land. I can't afford cattle. I can, I can make the consulting decisions. Yes. But, but is that really what I want to do? And now I feel like because of COVID and because of regenerative ag, there's been these perspectives that have made like maybe legacy thinking people realize you need to invest in the youth because they're the ones that have the creativity, the innovation and the motivation to do things uh, so that we can figure out like what you said, turn two ranches into one. I think, you know, the reason that the next generation doesn't move on to take over for their family is because they don't have a place for them, right? They they can't afford to take care of two or three families. And so, you know, what they should have done has been like, can you can you figure out a way to build stack an enterprise so that we can afford to keep you 
Like, let me give you that so you can make that decision instead of just saying no. So, yeah. Agreed. And that's why I'm where I am because my dad's place couldn't, couldn't add an extra person knowing what I know now, it's closer to being able to for sure. And I completely agree with you about the young people. That's why we're kind of looking for somebody to, to run that part of it because I think the energy they bring to something like, especially the soil health and regenerative agriculture movement. Um, I, I think that can be done so well by a 20 and 30 year old. That's got the energy to go out and do things yep. and really, really see those things accomplished. It's not that I don't want to, I enjoy that stuff, but um, when you're getting pulled into a hospitality enterprise and also got some other interests that are totally off farm and way out there. Um, I don't necessarily want to be 70 years old and moving cows. I just don't. Exactly. I, I think it's more fun to find somebody else, let them get their operation up and going. Um, and then we'll work together on this thing and see where the future takes us. Um, ultimately we probably approach um, the, the planning for the future a little differently than a lot of places because we're not a multi-generation ranch here. Um, we're, and we're actually probably angling more towards a community of like-minded individuals who want to gather here and, and, and do something, you know, whether it's an intentional community that's focused on regenerative agriculture or does other stuff. Um, eventually, given our location and, and the beauty of the area and who the, the type of people we can attract, um, holistic health healing type places would would just be a natural for this and so um, c2c really holistic healing spa on the banks of the saline river and, yep. and, there, and that's exactly right i mean there's there's no reason that that stuff won't be very very not just popular but needed down the yep. road here i mean i i think that that's if we're going to build something really different and try to blow out some paradigms let's go ahead and do it let's blow them all out and try something really different so that's yep. kind of <laughs> kind of why we're approaching this. Uh, um, I'm not as worried about about estate planning as much as I am figuring out how to set up an organization that could be doing some real good in a hundred years, way after I'm forgotten um, mm -hmm. by whoever does it. Because continuity of stewardship, continuity of stewardship yeah, instead exactly of continuity right. of ownership. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. I mean, nothing against my kids, but um, my. My, I've got an 18 year old son who's about to graduate from high school, and he was he was you know 12, 10 to 12 when we were running real big as farmers, and and so he grew up on the tractor, on the sprayer, on the combine. That was fun stuff for him, and then all of a sudden, dad gets a wild hair and completely changes everything. So he's out there as an 18 year old going, I don't know if I want to move cows the rest of my life. He, he likes he liked the equipment, um, and he totally understands why I'm doing what I'm doing. But still, he's going to go find his own way in life. And yep. if he comes back here, that's great. If he if he decides this is a good solution and he wants to do it, that's wonderful. But it's also okay if he doesn't. And because right. I found my own way in life, that's important. That's the way it should be. So we're more about trying to find people who can really identify with what we're doing here, um, who can see the vision and are willing to work towards it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Brian, we need to have a retreat. At Chad's place. Hey, we're ready. <laughs> yeah, it's not real far. I think it's uh, it only takes me like two and a half, maybe two forty-five to get up there to Chad's. Yeah, we yeah, went right perfect. by it. Like so seriously, we any, went right by it the last time we were going to Rapid City. I pointed to listeners like, who are listening in. Let's plan a ranching reboot retreat. <laughs> that's a great idea. And you know, it's been 
we've actually talked to a couple of different people in some of the leaders in this movement about doing something like that. Maybe not this year, but next year, doing some kind of a get together, you know, whether it's a, you want to call it a solar am, summit or something. I like will that. make it happen. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> We're, oh, what idea did you just plant in my head, girl? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I'm ready. I, like I said, Seth, I, it's, I, how do you pronounce his last name? Seth? It's good. It's good. It's good. Right. He and I talked a little bit about it because he's got a cool place in Virginia and, and is talking about, you know, hosting some people. And I messaged him too and said, Hey, we could do something like that. And I've talked to Gabe Brown about coming down at different times. So at some point, um, assuming we don't have floods and all the other fun stuff to deal with, we're hoping to be set up to do that exact thing. We're not doing everything right here at all. Um, the, the challenges, the time challenges when you're trying to do all these different things are real. Mm -hmm. But as we start to, I'm not necessarily worried about having it all right either. I'd rather bring people down, let people see it, see the challenges. And then, you know, we can, we can talk about how to do things better. Uh, I don't think any of our operations are exactly where we want them to be. And they probably never will be um, to host something like that, but uh, I'm all about it. I'm, I'd be thrilled to do something like that. Oh, I think we actually have Seth Itzkin on the schedule. Uh, what is mm -hmm. it? Cool. So. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he might actually be the release after this one. Depends on how we do the schedule, but clearly uh, Seth will either be released uh, next episode or in two episodes. And if I change that later and I forget to edit this episode, you can send me some hate mail. Whoever's listening, that'll be a good one, though. I mean, yeah, good smart people. That's the nice thing about this deal. There's some really good smart people at the leading it. I guess if for lack of a better word. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we can look past a lot of superficial things, we can find a lot of common ground with a lot of people. And like I was saying, you know, we need to be looking for that 80% commonality instead of trying to find that 90 to 95% commonality or 100% commonality. You know, as long as that 20% you disagree with isn't actively going the wrong direction – just deal with it and deal and let, let's let's 80% of us get in the same spot and get moving in the same direction. Agreed. I, yeah. I, and I think you're right. I think that uh, most of us who are, who are actively practicing regenerative management or holistic management for us, um, but regenerative management specifically on the, on the farm side of things. Um, I think we, you're right. We can find common ground with, with about any other producer out there who's trying to do the same things. Uh, the goal is to be as good of a steward as you can be. And it's going to look different for you versus me. That's that's because our operations are different and that's, that's okay. And it's going to look for different for every one of your fence line neighbors in every direction, because oh. everybody's going to have a subtly different management context. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to have some neighbors who are doing this. Um, do you have any? Um, I have one that I work with. I've been, um, We've been running cows together now for over 11 years and he does, you know, he does rotate. Um, he doesn't overgraze. His paddocks are still a little bit on the big side, but uh, he's on rented land. So what's his incentive to go out there and spend a lot of his time and labor putting out hot wire on electric fence when what he's doing works for his cost structure. Whereas I'm on my own land and part of it's leased 
from the family partnership, which is me and and my dad, and my sister. You know, I've got to pay a fair wage on. I've got to pay a fair rate on that, and I want to try to maximize my production to keep my costs low. So that's why I do some of the daily moves in a strip graze. Sure. Does it make sense for me? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. For us, we're kind of the pariahs out here right now. It feels like there's a few other operations probably in the county, I guess, but nobody close that that's for the most part, they all think we're crazy. They're still very, very traditionally wheat, corn, milo, run the I've, cows. The I've been that guy. It's okay. Yeah. And, and I have, I mean, I came up as that guy and you could go, you could go out to the internet and find arguments that I've written that are probably not much more than about seven or eight years old, justifying the use of the GMOs and the chemicals. And I, I, that's nothing, that's not a negative at all. It's just more like, once your once your focus shifts on that, it you just approach it all differently. And it would be it'd be nice to have some neighbors that can like start to see some of that. But we can admit that we didn't know it. everything and that we've learned something. the The key to this whole thing was me looking myself in the mirror and saying, "You're not profitable. You're going to have to figure this out." And so we went on a search for the truth, and this is where we landed. As a banker, I can tell you. Most people don't want to ask that question until you're forced to, until the banker says, you are not going to make this another year. And then then there may be a little bit more open, but um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a real challenge to change minds on that, and that's okay. Um, if it's working for them, that's the way it works for now anyway. We'll see what happens as supply chains change. I know, Brian, you're into the supply chain thing quite a bit. Um, as if diesel, If diesel doubles or like, you know, Phosphorus <laughs> all of a sudden gets hard to get hold of because the mine in Florida is poisoning the Gulf. Or, oh you know, yeah, that's that's going to change some things for Western Kansas wheat producers if phosphorus triples in cost, and it very well could um, due to all this. So, are, are you ready for the latest one? I saw this sure. today. So we've been having like semiconductor shortages have been kind of bubbling around. If you know where to look, all all most. Major automotive manufacturers have had to slow down or pause production because they can't get microchips. Hmm. Now the latest one, tires. Tires? Tires. Why? Supply chain. Hmm. They were all on a cargo ship in the Suez Canal. Oh, apparently. I, oh. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, who, who knows? But I mean, supply, supply chain, chain has been disrupted over and over again. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, you and know, since we don't make tiles in America anymore, you can't get them probably. Mm-hmm. Continuing yeah. supply chain disruptions. No. I'm telling you, I'm every week we talk to new, new beautiful people, but it makes me more and more becoming. A, a a prepper <laughs> like i need to be 100 percent self-sufficient uh, by next year it's a good it's goal crazy because you can sound like a conspiracy theorist real quickly if you start following some of this stuff around to its source but the truth is it's hard to ignore the fact that we should probably be prepared to yep. be able to live independently for a while I, you know most of us would have no idea of what to do if the electrical grid went down for any length of time. That, I would, that would thrive, be a good situation, but... in, in, would you? Um, <laughs> I think I would. Uh, I, we I, I might not do well. Got cold or hot. <laughs> so, yeah. But 
I might not do well if the power went down. I mean, as as long cool. as the as long as the lights stay on and the fuel keeps flowing, you know, okay. things things are yeah. pretty rosy. But you know, when the lights go out and I can't keep my bulk tanks full anymore, that's when it's time to go to the hills. Yeah, there's going to be problems then. I agreed, and for most of us, that would be the case. Most of us, I don't want to do without, you know, technology at all, much less something as basic as electricity at this point in time. And you think about that, you know, my dad remembers getting power out where he grew up in, in rural Gove County. So we've only been like this for a generation, generation and a half. Um, but we're very reliant on stuff like that, for sure. And it's only been the last 15 years. I mean, smartphones have been around for 15 years. They've really only been kind of mass for about the last 10. But, you know, in the last 10 years, everybody carries around this supercomputer in their pocket that is connected to literally every repository of information in the world. Like exactly. There's no excuse to not be educated about a subject. Exactly. Yep. yep. When you can yep. carry a third brain on your pocket that accesses the the totality of human knowledge at basically instantaneously, you're right. You might as well you can be informed and you can be educated on all this stuff. Agreed. It's changed everything. Wow, I don't know where to go from there, but uh, I don't think we've left a whole lot on the table today. <laughs> I understand. Is uh, is there anything you want to ask, uh, Mayor C.K. Chad? Yeah, if I heard you ask this question, I'm kind of curious. If you could ranch anywhere you wanted to, where would you go? Oh, gosh. I should have known this one was going to come up. <laughs> You know, it, it'd be real hard for me to want to leave my Red Hills, honestly. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's some negatives. There's some cons. Um, but the pros are I've been walking the walking the soil and learning the soil for 30 years. Um, right. So that's, that's worth something. And I've put a lot of time and a lot of. I put a lot of time and a lot of blood and a lot of love into into cleaning it up, and you know, so did my father. Not to take anything away from what he did, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'd want to go somewhere where there's maybe a little more elevation, a little more consistent rain, and a little more grass production, so it didn't have to be so spread out and so big to to make a living for one guy. Um, I don't know, maybe a little more. in your country is tough. For those of us from, even, I'm just from a slightly wetter environment, but I would have a hard time going to your country and wanting to ranch because of that rainfall situation. It's, uh, well, 22, 24, 26 is kind of where the normal-ish range is. But, you know, Hmm. how much of that we get in the dormant versus growing season, you know, that's always a question in the timing. You know, like we talked about timing during during the growing season can matter a whole bunch and then timing of sun. Oh yeah. So, you know, there's, it's challenging everywhere. I mean, everybody's going to have to deal with some weather crap and, and changing environment from year to year. And you have to have the contextually appropriate management that is adaptable and, and not dogmatic and systematic to your environment. Right. When we were going through the inheritance process of the ranch and before things were even fully settled, 
it was such a mess. It was such a challenging time. There were some times I was like, I just don't know if I'm going to want to stay around here. And so I actually put your question that you'd been asking people, um, if you could ranch anywhere, I actually put that into practice and started kind of researching. All right. If I sold this place, once we're done, where would I go? Mm -hmm. um, and what I found was about every place that looked real promising to me had some real serious challenges out there. And I knew my own challenges. Like you said, Brian, you've been walking your own hills for a long time. I knew these challenges a lot better. And, you know, like one of the places that I picked up that would have just been a beautiful place up on a big river in Nebraska, up on the Niagara, when they, when we had our big floods, they had big floods with ice flows. Um, they had challenges come through that area that whew, I wouldn't want to go through. Um, and so, you know, take, I remember seeing those pictures that did not look like yeah. fun. Yeah, no, I, the floods are hard enough to clean up after floods with feet of ice in them would be things I don't even want to think about. So, yeah, I kind of came to the same conclusion. It was easier to stay where I was at and because I understood these challenges. But like mm -hmm. CK, you've been everywhere then and you're a lot less tied down than he and I are. Yeah. Where would you go? It's so funny. Okay, so I've I've been to ranches in New York, the Carolinas, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Great Plains, Nebraska. I love the Sand Hills. I don't think mm -hmm. I would survive those winters. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I with love you there. Idaho. That's where we're going to go because that's where Joel's family is. Um, but if, if I could pick anywhere with stipulations that there wasn't regulations, it'd be Northern California. It would be Northern California by the foothills so that I could have summer summer grazing in the valley and then, head, then send them to the mountains. But you're going to run um, all the Californians out so you don't have the regulations, right? Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't want the regulations. I don't want the land prices. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. California is a great place. I mean, it's beautiful. The only problem is it's full of Californians and they ruined it. Exactly. And yes, I'm, I'm one of them. It. Yeah, so I'm from California. <laughs> but I left because, because I felt like there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Uh, so that's why we left. Yeah. And, you know, we met a ton of people from specifically like L.A. and the big cities of California this last summer. And I was surprised by how much in common we had with them, too. They, it's you do. Like, it's not like they're from another planet by any means. Um, they just have a lot different focus of their reality. Um, and that's how we all work, right? Uh, we, we know our own reality best, and that's it. So, uh, But, yeah, we again, we could find commonality at least 60 or 75% commonality with almost everybody that came down the driveway from out there, because at the, at the end of the day, they still worried about the same things that we worried about, you know? Yep. Healthy land, happy families, thriving communities. Sure. Yep. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. Chad, it's been an absolute, uh, it's been a blast having you on today. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you to both of you. Yeah, it's been amazing. Well, gang, Red Hills Rancher here. Thanks for riding with us for another great episode of Ranching Reboot. I want to thank our guest today, Chad Tuttle. Guys, make sure you come back and check us out on Facebook, the Ranching Reboot Paddock. Lots of good stuff going on in there. Make sure you give us a like, follow, subscribe. Share us with your friends if we've made an impact in your life or your operation. Gang, have a great week. Red Hills Rancher, out. <laughs>